Welcome to the Orlando Drummer Podcast. We are on episode three. I have some Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and it sucks. I hate Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> it's one of my least favorite coffee places ever. What did you call it? Trash bag water? Trash bag water. Yeah, you know, you're taking the trash out, and you spill something in there, and then the bag rips open, and that water comes out. This is how Dunkin' Donuts was founded, so... Yeah, we'll never have we'll never have Duncan as a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> never. Oh my god. No, I'm out of normal coffee. I ordered coffee online. Uh, what did I get this time? Black Rifle. Um, and just I don't know. COVID holidays. Everything in between. Everything in the mail takes like ten times longer than it's supposed to. Yeah. So I'm coffeeless at the moment. But they're, they're wiping down packages with uh, Lysol wipes. That's why you can't buy any Lysol wipes at Target. Is that they're wiping down packages? No, that's a joke. Oh, that's, I was gonna that, say <laughs> that seems that seems a bit absurd. <laughs> okay, Goodness. all right, all right. So, um, <laughs> all right, let's hop into it. So we got a little bit of drum news, but admittedly, it's a weird time for drum news. I don't think anybody launches stuff this close to Christmas. No. All the new products and stuff yeah. have come out within the last couple months. Yeah, if you haven't figured out what's in the drum market by now, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Well. So what do we got at least on deck for today? Very exciting news for uh, you. Ah. The uh, little Australian company called Entity Drums. Entity. Gave you a signature snare drum. Yes. Signature snare. So I was kind of lying about the product thing. We're actually launching a product extremely close to, close to Christmas. I have it right here, but if you've seen any of my videos before, you have seen this bad girl. This is the Entity OD. This is a 12 by 5 Jara snare drum, and I would tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about it, but um, yeah, 12 by 5 Jara. I've had this snare for about two years on my kit, um, and Sal and I, Sal is the um, the lone wolf over at Entity Drums. He's a very boutique woodworker, high-level woodworker, man, um, just a, a genuine artisan. And you guys have probably seen his kits. I know Drumeo has featured some of his kits before. Um, they're just so unique, man. They're, they're really unmistakable. And two years ago or so, he sent me one of these 12 by 5 snares. And, you know, despite having a lot of other expensive snare drums in my collection, this one just always stuck out to me as the snare, man. I absolutely, I just got married to the sound. You know, it became, it became a, a staple in my own personal sound. And we've worked on different ways to sort of package it and get it to where it represents me and the sound that I'm in love with and that you guys have been hearing for the past couple years or so. Anyway, I'm not going to try and give you all the information here. Uh, we do have a promo video that came out on uh, this past Saturday. So I'll roll a, a couple minutes for, uh, for you from that clip so you guys can see. Yeah, just some info about this snare, and uh, if you want to check out the full video, it'll be linked in the description, or maybe we'll throw a link right up here in this corner. Uh, but yeah, check out the promo, or some of the promo, for the Entity OD. Now, about two years ago, I got in touch with Salvador from Entity Drums, and Sal is a seriously talented woodworker and artist, and he was kind enough to send me one of his 12-inch snares all the way from Melbourne, Australia. But being that this snare was so small, I assumed that I would likely use it as my side snare, and probably not my main one. But as I tuned that original snare up and I played it back in early 2019, I began to fall in love with the sound of this drum. Even though I have several other high-end snare drums in my collection, I always found myself returning to this 12-inch entity. And sure enough, this snare ended up replacing all of my other ones because truly, this snare has just become a permanent staple in my sound over the last two years. So throughout 2020, Salvador and I have focused on ways to improve and package this snare drum to closely represent the sound that I've fallen in love with, and I think we have finally nailed it. So this drum is 12 inches by 5 inches, and it's made out of Jara, which is a native Australian hardwood. Now I know you're thinking, just like I was, that 12 inches is just too small to be a main snare, and normally I would agree with you. But when it comes to Jara, this specific wood is incredibly dense. Jara is significantly more dense than maple, birch, oak, ash, 
beech, or any of the other woods that you would commonly see used for a snare drum. And all of that density comes with a sound profile that is unlike any other wooden snare that I have ever heard. So Jara is a very sharp and a growly wood, and it has overtones that kind of replicate the sound profile of a metal snare drum in many ways. While Jara has tons of body, it's still very sensitive, it's extremely loud, and it's more than capable of cutting through the mix in almost any genre of music. While 12 inches is quite small, this reduced size helps to balance out a lot of the aggressive qualities of the wood. And for me, 12 by five is just the perfect size for this snare. Now the OD is made with a 100% stave construction and that helps to control a lot of the overtones of the drum and it really helps bring out the fundamental tone of the wood itself. The snare is outfitted with only six single point double ended lugs and that allows for very little shell contact which means tons of resonance. Now the hoops of the OD are segmented jara which perfectly match the actual shell and just like the shell itself these hoops are incredibly dense and that makes for really powerful rim shots and cross sticks but these aren't ordinary wooden hoops because Sal has incorporated a metal inlay inside of the hoops and that helps prevent damage to the wood but it also adds to that sharp metallic high-end bite that this drum is notorious for producing. So if you want to check out that full video, you can do so. Um, link is down in the description. There are a limited amount of these available. So hopefully by the time this airs, there's still some of them left. This is really a small batch boutique kind of deal. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited, man. It's a beautiful drum. And I'm so, I'm so happy to know that, you know, 13 people or 12 people um, get to get their hands on this thing. That's really, really exciting for me. Um, I wish hundreds of you could, but that's just not how it works when they're they're handmade like this. So yeah, man, super, super exciting. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else we got, brother? It's a pretty one. Uh, and then more news for yourself. Um, All right. Since we are self-centered <laughs> here. Um, it you, is the Orlando drum part, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's about <laughs> you. Um, so more about you. Uh, you released another podcast. Yes, yes. All In With Adam, a new podcast that came out. Um, I don't want to give you a lot of context here because it is not a drum podcast at all, not even close. It's not a music industry podcast. It is not related to anything you will ever see on this channel. Uh, but I wanted to tell you about this here. Um, just because, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing knowledge, sharing information, expanding ideas. It's part of my identity as a drummer and as a drum teacher. You know, sharing ideas is at the core of my interest in all music in general. Um, but with that said, I'm not interested in just music. I have a lot of other things that I'm very passionate about. So uh, the introductory episode, uh, episode one, just came out um, a couple days ago on Thursday, which was my birthday. And it was an awesome birthday. I got a lot of really cool feedback about that. And while the topic is... A uh, pretty heavy one, an unorthodox topic to kick things off. Um, I was just really happy to see how many um, drummers and musicians and people from this platform came over to that one to show support and to have um, some uncomfortable conversations, I think, for a lot of people. But it, it was um, it was really, really cool, man. So I just wanted to share that with you guys here. If you're interested in hearing anything I have to say outside of the drum industry, there is now a place to do that. Um, and so that's been really fulfilling for me. And I'm really, really excited about that. So that's about as far as... Uh, we're going to go off the path of drums for today, but yeah, so Signature Snare, new podcast, fun week in my world, and I'm happy to share it with you guys. Cool. And then uh, to get back on beat, as it were. Back on drum. Yeah, I should have said that, the and path. I'm talking about back on the beat, brother. Got to be quicker than that. Uh, <laughs> I'm we'll, new at this. We'll move into our Q&A segment. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, this is a part of the podcast where we answer any question. Uh, these questions come from Instagram, YouTube, the forums of Orlando Drummer, or they've been emailed to me personally at chris at orlandodrummer.com. Nothing's off the table. We welcome any sort of question. They're all helpful for us to learn and you guys to learn as well. Yeah, sex life, all that stuff. Bring it on. <laughs> Sex, drums, and rock and roll. <laughs> Sex, drums, and rock and roll. Um, so, first question comes from Brendan Talks Gaming, and he asks, what are y'all's thoughts on buying used gear? Buying used gear. I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. I think used gear holds up 
pretty well in the drum world. Normally, it's relative to like to touring and like is the gear being transported? Like drums don't really get that beat up from playing them because you don't hit the wood or the hardware that much. You know, in my experience, it's pretty easy to keep gear in mint condition because I don't tour and because I don't gig and my gear is not very mobile. But there are some things, you know, if you get a kit that's been on tours, that's going to be a kit that's beat up a little bit more. Climate changes a lot. And I don't mean like the topic of climate change. I mean, um, a kit that is brought into different climates very often. That sort of thing worries me a little bit when it comes to any like uh, artisan woods. Like I, I like things that are kept in an air-conditioned environment all the time. So I would say the owner and sort of their lifestyle as a musician, that would be the big factor when you're buying any type of used gear. Like did you tour with this? Has this been all over town? Has it been in smoky bars? Has it sat in the sun because you played a gig in a parking lot? Like those are the variables you have to, to worry about. Um, and of course, maintenance when it comes to hardware and pedals and things like that. Um, you certainly have to be careful of rust or things that haven't been oiled or maintained. So I would say, and I look at like buying cars the same way as this. If you get the good story and a good vibe from the seller, then buying something used is a lot less scary. Like when I buy a vehicle and someone can't tell me anything about it, they don't know where it came from, where the maintenance was done, and there's no story, that's a little bit scarier. I'd rather take a risk on somebody who has the backstory of this piece of gear. So if you got a guy selling a snare or a pedal or uh, a used symbol, and he says, I bought it here, I did this with it, um, here's what I loved about it, and then here's why I'm selling it. All that stuff to me um, helps make the purchase a lot a lot smoother, and it just gives me a peace of mind when I'm buying used gear. Um, I think, yeah, the only thing to be careful of, I guess, would be symbols. Used symbols can get a little bit weird because Right, like what does a symbol look like right before it's about to crack? It looks exactly like a normal symbol, right? So if you can get the story of the piece of gear, I think that's a much smarter way to approach buying used gear in general. But uh, with shells, I mean, it's it's a pretty safe bet as long as you know the seller, right? Yeah. You're selling a kit right now, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can put fresh heads on anything and make it sound great. And yeah. now more than ever, help out musicians. If they're trying to sell some stuff for money, Give them some money. Yeah. This is not a self-plug for me to sell my kit. <laughs> He's just trying to but, sell a kit. <laughs> but, you know, if uh, a lot of people aren't gigging, a lot of people are trying to get rid of the stuff that they thought they needed and they don't. Uh, people are realizing the essential yeah. parts of being a musician. And if it's holding on to three kits, you know, yeah, maybe you only need one. So buy yeah. used for sure. Sure. I'll give you another weird, weird used story. This happened when I worked at Sam Ash probably 10 years ago or so. We... Had somebody come in. I can't remember the brand, but it was like a, I want to say it was a, it was labeled a Tama. And we were trying to figure out what kind of Tama. And I think we determined that it was a Superstar Hyperdrive, which was actually a kit that I had years and years ago. I had a white one. And we're looking at it, but like something was weird. There was like a mismatched lug and there was some print on the inside that didn't look like it was from Tama. And we found that this person had shaved the drums down, cut them to the Hyperdrive sizes and gotten hardware off a hyperdrive kit and the badges and like made like a counterfeit drum set. And it almost tricked us, even working at Sam Ash. It took us like 20 minutes to be like, why? Like what year was this made? And like like trying to figure all that out. And it was legitimately like a counterfeit kit. Uh, I've never seen that before, but this was a weird thing that happened to us. We almost gave them like 400 bucks on a trade-in for some like total piece of junk kit you know it's, it's weird. weird i don't know i don't know why you would exhaust all that effort in order to make four hundred dollars like that seems like too much you it's know, a lot of work you would think it. just if you had all the work to be able to make a counterfeit kit why aren't you working hard enough to afford an actual kit yeah makes, uh, all right yeah i think it <laughs> happens in the guitar world much more counterfeit guitars is definitely a thing but it's probably a little easier counterfeit drum set is too big to deal with all of that that's probably not a thing yeah you know anyway <laughs> Weird story. Yeah. Next question comes from Tommy Hoskins. It's a little bit of a long-winded one. Okay. Uh, Tommy says, I play drums for my church, but I don't practice as much as I should at home due to noise. I do have a basement, but my Tama Rockstar set sounds like crap to me down there and kills mm -hmm. my motivation to play. I initially thought about getting electronic drums, but at about 2000 I wondered if that money would be better spent on optimizing room acoustics and my kit itself. As a bonus, limit the amount of noise heard in other areas of the house while being able to stick with my acoustic set. What would you recommend, okay. and can I realistically achieve that goal with my current kit and playing space? If so, how? Okay. It's Tommy, right? 
This is Tommy Hoskins. Tommy Hoskins. All right, Tommy. So I, I think you're... I, if I were you, I would not recommend going the electric kit route necessarily, especially if you're interested in just purely practicing and that's kind of what you're doing at the moment. If you have a use for that electric kit, if you're really recording stuff where that's going to gonna be a tool that you need, I say go ahead and go for the electric kit in that case. But if practicing is your priority and sort of honing the craft of playing drums, I, you know, I would really stick with acoustic because there is a feel difference on on electronic kits. And I'm just not a fan of like putting in all that time on one feeling kind of kit and then expecting that to go over to the acoustic kit. It, it might not be that smooth for you. For me, there's a pretty drastic difference in feeling and there's a time and place for both of those things. So um, until you can afford to have both of them in your life, I, I wouldn't recommend just dumping all your cash right away into the electric kit. So I like that you have a basement where you know, at least you can get away with being loud, but I totally hear you that it doesn't sound good because if you have untreated walls, you got you got wall studs there, you have open rafters on the ceiling, you have a concrete floor. Yeah, man, I understand. That kit probably sounds bad in that environment. I, I, it's like playing a kit in an empty garage, right? It's just, it's chaos. So what I would, I would definitely focus on, on treating the sound of the room. That seems like a much better way to go because all you're trying to do is kill the sound. If you're not trying to soundproof the room and you're just trying to treat the sound of the room, that's a lot easier of a problem to solve. So number one thing to invest some money in that's not that expensive is rugs. And barring a rug that has been like peed on by a cat or something, like you can just go get like a cheap rug at a thrift store or five cheap rugs at a thrift store. I mean, smell them first to make sure they're not gross. Yeah. But you know, it really isn't that big of a big of a deal. It's not that big of an expense. So I would say go to some thrift stores in your in your area, um, buy five or six cheap rugs. Obviously, you can throw one or two under your kit, but try to get all that concrete on the floor covered because that's a really hard, uh, acoustically reflective surface. So get all of those things covered. Another thing that helps a lot is ironically like stuff, stuff in the room. Couches help a lot, but any type of large object with a bunch of mass to it is gonna help deflect the sound. I think one of your worst enemies in that situation where you have this overwhelming, pangy reverb happening is large, flat, smooth surfaces. So I would definitely look into um, getting a larger couch, maybe getting like, I don't know, some lockers or some chairs or something to take up the space a little bit more. That's also gonna be really helpful. And of course, um, things like Oralex help as well. I got five of these panels back here. Um, and really, man, I, I would go, you don't have to buy the Oralex brand. You can just buy acoustic foam on Amazon, get as, as much bulk as you can afford, and then go to Home Depot and buy, um, I think what it would be is like five millimeter underlayment, get like a four by eight sheet. At the moment, lumber's double price. It's like 10 to $14 for a five millimeter panel of wood. And then just cut that to size um, and take your your two foot by four foot uh, foam panels, it's probably the size you're gonna get on Amazon, and foam spray them, 3M makes a really nice foam, um, sorry, a spray for foam, and you can put the foam on those backers so they're nice and solid. You can try propping them up around the room and seeing how placing them in different positions affects the sound because that's a hard thing to really guess. So before you mount those panels on the wall, like I have back here, try moving them around. You might find that they're that propping them in a corner in a certain angle is really helpful. But the name of the game is just filling the space with things that are going to absorb the sound or stop the sound from reflecting so much. And I promise this is not that expensive of a thing um, if you approach it the right way. So Carpets from a thrift store, that's a really easy thing to do. Um, you know, and if you wanted to go as cheap as possible, I mean cheap, cheap, I actually did this years ago uh, in a house I lived in, we were in this little band. We went on the free section of Craigslist and found mattresses, like queen and king size mattresses that were free. So yes, they had stains and it was gross and weird and creepy, but we would just go pick up mattresses and we filled up the back of this van and we put Dude, it was like 11 or 12 mattresses in a weird giant circle all the way around this two-car garage. And then we just went and bought like literally like OSB pieces of plywood and sort of boxed them in so we didn't have to see the mattresses. We created like a faux wall that surrounded us. Um, and it, it totally helped. It helped a lot. And we were just so broke. It didn't cost us anything. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the move for sure. I, I wouldn't go the electric kit route necessarily unless you think you got a use for that tool. I would lean towards... Um, Carpets from a, a thrift store, that's a super cheap solution. And yeah, just fill the space, get some mass going, foam panels, a lot of easy solutions, man. To limit the amount of noise you actually create, I mean, I did this a while ago. Um, I got Evan's sound off heads, 
and not that we have any affiliation with them, but Zildjian L80 symbols. Yeah. Quite well, a noise awesome invention, down. by the way. Yeah, Zildjian L80s are dope. They're dope. <clears throat> and if, if you're looking to practice, like you said, they function perfectly. You don't have to sacrifice sizes of your kit. Feel is a little bit different. You get a little bit more rebound out of the sound off heads. Yeah, but yeah. If you're just looking to be quiet, yeah. that's the way to do it. Yeah. But it sounds like Tommy's in a good position where you can be loud. It just sounds like shit being loud. You know? <laughs> like I, and I get that, too. That sucks. You know, you want to like the sound of your own kit. That's a part of playing drums, mm -hmm. too. So, yeah, there's happy mediums there for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that was a good one. Good question. Cool. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, and last question from Aaron Rudero. Okay. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. How do younger drummers gain recognition and how important is that gain recognition so i imagine you're asking on in the online context i think it's increasingly more important um and you can view that as a positive or a negative right but i think what was the business card of the 80s is the instagram of today right i mean i think that's just kind of how it works now um people that would be scouting you for a potential gig or checking you out to see if you're if you're worth a phone call if you're worth a text message or maybe maybe they're on the fence about sending you an email they're, the reality is they're going to go to your social media and check you out and they're going to they're going to size you up effectively right they're going to see they want to see some sort of content or a representation of your playing in some way and yeah they might go to your website um, and maybe they'll just take take someone's word on your playing level but i think an online presence is increasingly important and it is not about you becoming air quotes like famous. It's not really about that. I want that for everybody. If that's what you want, then I want that for you too. All the fans, all the followers, the comments, the likes, subscriptions, sure. If that's your goal, I don't see anything wrong with that and I want the same thing for you. But I think it's important not necessarily to get, to get recognized as in like there, there's a degree of fame there. I think it's a little bit more important that you have something for people to find if they want to learn about you. So let's say you had zero interest in becoming um, famous via the internet for playing drums or well known for like your content in some way. Dude, I don't have any, any issue with that at all. It's probably a healthy way to approach the industry and you just say, you know, I, what I want to do is gig. I want a little bit more of the traditional route where I would be more than happy to take a, um, a gig with a band or do studio work or session work and be out of the spotlight, but just be more of a purist musician and a performer. And if that was the case, I would say that you still need to put a little bit of attention on social media and an online presence in that the people who would potentially hire you and seek out information about you um, – those people are going to use social media to do that. So the content that you're creating or the videos that you're putting out, it's merely a representation of the product or the service that you're bringing to the table. It doesn't have to be put out there or created with the intention of, of getting attention from strangers or approval from strangers. That doesn't have to be your goal. But I think just how... Um, you know, a business card functioned in the 80s, right? Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Uh, here's a little representation of me, a logo, a website, some contact information. Here you go. Now that's Instagram. That's Facebook. That's YouTube, whatever social media platform you, you want to fill in there. And so, yeah, I think it is really important to have um, that social media presence. But I think whether or not you want a lot of attention coming your way uh, from strangers, you know, that's up to you. I don't really think that matters. I just think having the content out matters now more than ever. And I think the demand for that sort of thing um, is increasing all the time, you know. And that's it for the Q&A segment of the podcast. Cool, cool. Just as a reminder, you can submit your questions via Instagram, YouTube, the members area of OrlandoDrummer.com, or you can shoot me an email at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. Oh, yeah. And next, we'll move into Accent or Ghost. Accent or Ghost. In this segment, I'll present Adam with a largely debated topic among the drumming industry, a new product, or any viewer-submitted content, and we'll get an approval, accent, or a disapproval, Ghost. Start off with, I don't know if you've heard of this, uh, it's called the Butt Kicker. The Butt Kicker? The Butt Kicker. <laughs> okay. So, from their website... Um, the butt kicker concert, because they have several sub models of the butt kicker. It is designed specifically for musician monitoring stage and studio use. The butt kicker concert low frequency audio transducer is used by over 100 of the world's top touring groups. The Rolling Stones, Green Day, Shania Twain, Usher, Alanis Morissette, My Chemical Romance, 
Lost Lonely Boys, and many, many others. Mm, Shania Twain. The Butt Kicker Concert is a patented two-ohm low-frequency transducer that features a 3.75-pound magnetically suspended piston. The Butt Kicker Concert is musically accurate, provides powerful frequency response, is virtually indestructible, and requires (laughs) no maintenance. Okay. So based off of that, what do you think this thing does? Okay, so this... First of all, I feel like the version of this I know about is from Porter and Davies, right? It's like a low frequency, like basically a vibrating throne that acts like a subwoofer. Right. Right? Okay. So, you know, it's so tough to make a judgment without having tried it. And I would imagine a majority of the people listening haven't tried that. If you have tried it and you're in the comments, let us know, like... I guess the real question is like of what value is this to you like does it make that big of a difference because it might it might be kind of like in-ears where until you've tried custom fitted in-ears it is so hard to tell you why it's awesome you just have to take somebody's word for it it's very like like experiential it's hard to sell you on something that you haven't tried uh, in some of these weird, obscure products like that. So for me, it's kind of like that. I don't want to knock it necessarily until I've actually tried it. I would imagine it is a really cool experience for sure. But it also feels a bit like it feels like a bit of a, of a luxury in that I don't know what the argument is that you need that because I would assume 99% of the drum industry is playing drums just fine without something like that. But, you know, I, I don't want to condemn it on the basis that maybe in trying it you're like oh my god i can't believe what i've been missing this whole time like custom in ears right so it could be something like that man that's so hard to accent or ghost um i also don't know the relationship between the butt kicker and then this like the i think it's porter and davies who makes the uh, very similar sort of product and i'd be interested to know what the differences in approach are there between those two or if they're just very very similar and there's like patent differences between those two designs um huh I'll give it the accent because I'm not mad that it exists. It doesn't bother me at all that it exists. I think I would question how valuable that actually is, but I would need to talk with somebody that owns it, right? I'd have to talk and say, like, what exactly does this do for you? So if you've ever tried one, whether that's in uh, your church or maybe you bought one, you took the leap on one, or for whatever reason, if you sat on one of those and you tried it, um, let us know how you like it. I'd really like to know. But I'll give it the accent. I think it's it's cool. Why not? Uh-huh. Why not? You know? Cool. Sometimes fair. you need your ass kicked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Your butt kick. Um, this is a fair judgment. This coffee right. is trash. So uh, <laughs> horrible. I can't believe I finished it. <laughs> so bad. I'm glad the theme for this podcast is that we hate Dunkin' Donuts. Coffee. Exactly. Welcome to episode three. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I sent you some photos for Accent or Ghost. You can have uh, okay. open up the first one from Pearl Drums. Uh, okay. This is Pearl Euro. Goodness. I, okay. I, first of all, I like it. We're going to open up and give that a strong accent. Something is very like classically beautiful about that. Like a like a blonde-haired girl named Jane. You know what I mean? It's just like very like sweet and nice and pretty. I love the setup. The what do you call the heads? I'm not like a Remo artist on a power center black dot. That's like what my gut wants um, to say. Is that is that right? Uh, Some combination of those words. Evans. <laughs> the, uh, it's, uh, no, it's, it was definitely a definitely a Rebo head. Um, yeah, Remo Center Dot, I think, is the name of that. Center Dot, yeah, yeah. I think Power Center might be an Evans word. Actually, I don't know. Somebody in, in the comments knows exactly what what these are. Um, it's a that's a beautiful setup. I don't love the sound of no Rezo heads necessarily. At least I never played a kid in person where I loved that sound. But something about this is just so classically beautiful. That's an awesome set. The one thing I'll tell you I don't like, though, right away is the lack of symmetry in that this feels um, very right-hand dominant. The amount of stuff happening on the right is heavy. It's very, very heavy. But I love the shallow floor, Tom. I dig that. That looks like what? Like 14 by 14? Almost in like the, the square dimension in that it's like... Uh, equally high and wide. Looks like that. I kind of like that sound as well. A little bit shorter of a sustain on the floor, Tom. Um, it's pretty, man. It's just a beautiful kit, for sure. I want to play it and get a vibe for those toms. I have a feeling we're, we're in very much in like the 80s territory. Oh, I should read the description where it says uh, it's a Silver Ripple Pearl Kit from 1977. 77. 
Man, it's just pretty. It's just beautiful. That's my initial impression. I definitely want to hear it. It might not sound as good as it looks, but it looks good. Um, so that's a hard accent there. That's awesome. Uh, next topic uh, to accent or ghost is okay. drumming under the influence of anything. <laughs> of anything. So, <laughs> so a DUI, but drumming under the influence. <laughs> Did you ever get a DUI? Oh, man. So... I have definitely, we got to go way, way back, but I have definitely played drums drunk before. Um, if you want any context on my relationship with, with alcohol and the music industry and all that, click the link in the description for All In with Adam. Much more context there. Um, but the problem I have with playing drums with any amount of alcohol in your body is that it affects mechanics. It's why driving is a problem. You know, the mechanics get so messed up that at a certain point, even if you are mentally able to do the math and remember the parts and whatever that sort of stuff is, you know, if the mechanics go, none of this matters, right? If your independence just kind of falls apart because you have alcohol in your body, well, that kind of sucks. I would think the balance there has to be, for alcohol specifically, um, you know, like the one shot before you go on stage to kill the nerve sort of thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, if you're a church drummer, you know, might be a little odd to do that before you hit the stage on Sunday morning, but there's definitely some context where I think that could be appropriate and even helpful for sure. The other one I guess that would come up would be um, would be pot, right? Would be smoking pot. Anything else? I mean, you're just getting into, into weird territory where like, how sustainable is it to pop an e pill mm. before you get into? You know, <laughs> I don't know how long you can like do coke and do you know. So it's really it's drug specific, I suppose. But with pot, realistically, I know. A lot of my families, a lot of drummers, you know, there's a whole lot of drummers that, that smoke weed. And I'm not trying to give you any opinion or bias one way or the other, but I will say that the creativity boost that can come from that is, is something special for sure. But like with all substances, time, place, set, setting, all of these things kind of matter. So I would say if you've gone down one wormhole where you're, you're the kind of person that is let's just say getting high and playing drums every day, it's all you ever do. You know, experiment with what sobriety can offer you in, in that context. Um, and at the same time, if you've ever wondered if, like, I wonder what it's like to smoke a little pot and play drums, like, that's pretty cool too. There, there's pros and cons to both sides of that argument. So like with everything, the unfortunate anticlimactic answer is that moderation is key and you shouldn't be going to either side of, of that spectrum in either one of those extremes. Mm -hmm. But... I love I love that that DUI is is drumming under the it worked influence. out. That's worked hilarious. Out, worked out perfectly. <laughs> and we should we should reiterate too anything done under legal pretenses. We're obviously not endorsing that anybody under the age of twenty one start to drink exactly. and play drums. We want exactly. this to be as legal and safe as possible. I think we have to say that. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't do anything illegal. Come yeah. on. It's and, a drum podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and and then if you were to think about drumming uh, in terms of athleticism and performance, yeah. there's obviously a strong argument against that. With anything affecting your body uh, from an outside you know, influence, there shouldn't be any if you're trying to reach a performance level of yeah, drums. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's sort of that artistry versus the athleticism that comes with playing drums. Yeah, there's definitely a balance there as well. Um, you know, taking care of your body has everything to do with how you perform on a drum set, uh, being as physical as our instrument is. So, yeah, that, that's a good point as well. Sort of depends on the type of drummer you are. Like, I, I would think if you are like a speed metal drummer where it's like this, like Eloy Casagrande, like physically demanding type of performer, right? If that's the type of music that you play and it's very physically demanding. I bet you that dude wouldn't touch a beer or hit a joint before going on stage. No way. There's, this is, there is way too hard of a physical task right in front of us. You know, it's like if you talk to like a, a weightlifter before they go into a competition, they're just like, what are you talking about, dude? No, like stone cold sober is the only option. So yeah, genre specific. And then you go to an acid jazz club and you know, good luck hanging out in that green room. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so is that an accent or is that a ghost? Um, you gotta pick one. Within moderation, I have to give it an accent. Have to give it an accent. Also, let's not ignore the the amount of drugs and how they've influenced all of our musical history, especially in American culture. Talk to James Brown about this. Come on, you know? So I think we got to give it the accent just for its cultural relevance within musical history. Um, but as far as, like, like um, abuse of your body or just escapism and all of those sort of elements, I I'll, I'll ghost it in that sense. But for the most part, I think you got to give it the, ac the accent unless you want to ignore half of musical history in our culture, you know? 
All right, next is a photo. I think it's from True Tuner. It's an interesting one. Okay, True Tuner. So, whoa. What is this? So it looks like it's a, it's a shaker and a tambourine on a double pedal. Interesting. This feels like one of those... So the shaker is the egg deal. Mm-hmm. And then the little tambourine is on the right. So this feels like one of those things, like, why didn't this exist already? Doesn't it feel like that to you? Sort of like, that's really easy. It seems extraneous to me because, one, how are you going to mic that up and, and, you know, get any sort of noise out of it? Well, and, kick batter. Yeah, It I might guess. be overwhelmed by the sound of the kick attack, that, Yeah, though. that's what I thought. Hmm. But it, it also, maybe we didn't think of it because the, the whole focus on playing the bass drum with the kick pedal is just the kick pedal. Adding extra stuff is just more things to worry about. Yeah. Musicality. Yeah, there's definitely an irony there in that if you wanted to mic this up and hear it, I mean, it's literally blocked from the audience by a kick drum. So... That's not going to be super audible. That's one of the ironies there. In a small little acoustic setting, coffee coffee shop type situation, I think I could see this being audible and useful. Um, in a stadium environment, there's there's a problem. And of course, the problem would be that any microphone you put near this area of your kit is going to pick up the kick batter first and foremost. Depending on the polar pattern of the mic, it could also grab a lot of snare bottom and things like that. And when you're mixing that, you're in order to hear these, which are definitely going to have to be very light and therefore very quiet. Uh, yeah, you might you might have a big problem with that. So there's an element of novelty to it, but it's one of those things where it's like, like if you're already stomping your foot and it's going up and down anyway, and the beaters are swinging anyway, that's free energy, right? So just putting something else on it just sort of adds another sound. So conceptually, I think we'll give it the accent, though I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, of how well this would work in different settings. I think this might really be limited to to like the the acoustic coffee shop type setup. I think it might be limited to there. So I'll give it the accent because I think you in that environment, this would be really cool. I think it would just be environment dependent, but a cool, cool invention. Seems like it strikes me as one of those, like why didn't somebody else do this before? It seems really easy, you know? I don't know, seems extra to me. Yeah, it's, a, it's extra. It's a little extra. Um, all right, and then another topic before we get to the last photo. Okay. Um, trashing your kit at the end of a set. I'm sure we've all been to small shows, and it is a very showy thing to, right at the end of your <laughs> powerful set, you destroy thousands of dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> or maybe don't destroy, but you still dent it and hurt it. And for people who think the drums are precious and should never be hurt, that kind of hurts me. I know. It's painful, thoughts. isn't it? It's painful. First of all, I'm looking at you, Eric and Proda. Yeah, here, <laughs> out here, smashing kits. Yeah. Yeah, it's one, I mean, I get it, right? You can go back pretty far in the history of rock and roll and see people smashing gear. Uh, you know, it's part of that that extreme nature of musical expression. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that at all. But... It is kind of a big middle finger to everybody who just saved up and bought a drum set this week, right? Especially if you're in a band where you have a large amount of musician fans. Like, okay, a good example of that would be like like an Animals as Leader show, who's like 90% musicians in the audience. Man, you know if you smash a guitar or you smash a drum set at the end of of your set, you know the cringe level that comes that comes with that uh, for everybody out in the audience. So I think that that in itself is like it's it's a touch self-centered in some element. But at the same time, there's this like objective reality that if you're endorsed and you don't pay for that gear, like nobody's really hurt by this. I guess the drum company would be as you know, but they might be on board. They might like that that artistic element of that sort of intense expression of a show. I think the way to do that is honestly to like use beater kits, to use like really, really low-end crappy drum sets that you plan to do that to. The problem is you have to play the whole show because you can't smash your kit after the first song. So now you're stuck playing an entire set with a kit that you're intending to smash apart at the end. So maybe there's like some sweet spot of like a six or $700 kit and that's all relative to like how big is your band and do you have a label that's going to pay for this? Do you have a drum company that's cool enough to fund you smashing your kits up? That sort of thing. I think in the big in the big picture, I'm going to have to ghost it. I'm going to have to ghost smashing your kit at the end. Maybe for like 
a showcase type of show. So if you knew that there were like some heavy hitting like record label execs in the audience and you thought that this show would be a, a really good one to to risk a drum set for, or to, not to risk, to sacrifice a drum set. I think if that was a scenario that you were in, then yeah, you could smash it. But for a huge majority of context, I'm gonna ghost that just on the premise that that drum set didn't do anything, man. Like, bring something else to smash that's not worth anything. Like, go to a thrift store and buy a bunch of like old big TVs and smash those if you need to smash something. It didn't have to be a drum set. I think every, <laughs> everybody has to cringe a little. Even the drummer has to be like, mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ask Eric Proto, you know, it's violent ass. So that's a, a ghost for cringiness. Yeah, I'm gonna we'll have to, that. have to. Drums are expensive, man. They are, they are. Um, but uh, let's take a look at the last photo here, and do uh, should come in order there. Okay. Do number one, and if you get confused, click on number two. Okay. M drums. Weird. Is it on some like in infinite black surface? That's a weird kit. Sorry, I'm tilting my head because the photo's a little crooked. Well, I'll put it crooked for you too. You're tilting your head with me, huh? So I first of all, I like. The fade is dope. The, like that copper burnt orangish to black. I really like that fade. Go ahead, though. Do you have something else about it? Yeah. Go ahead and uh, click on the second photo. It's a sonar. Is it a sonar? That's the weirdest looking sonar I've ever seen. Is this like a... Have you not figured it out yet? It's a toy. <laughs> it's a so uh, it took me a second. It's a toy. Yeah, this is from uh, Instagram miniature like, drums. What's wrong with it? Yep, uh, it <laughs> okay. threw me off too dope. for a few minutes when I first saw it. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, um, dude, that completely got me. My brain took quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's so detailed. It it looks like a slightly blurry photo, right? Holy shit, that's awesome. That's really cool. So okay, so how miniature though? Is there any context for like, dimensions? I, I think it's like the size of your hand. Like if you were to splay out, well, my wow. whole hand, it would be would kind of cover that ground. It's very small. Yeah. Miniature drums. Damn, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know what first got me that like, what's wrong with this thing? Is the the weird hinge at the bottom of the cymbal stands that like three way little folder thing like a like a cheap Amazon camera tripod mm -hmm. like that sort of thing. Interesting, man. That's awesome. So detail oriented to be able to trick your eyes like that. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but I don't know if you guys got tricks by that. It got me for a minute. That's awesome, man. Super cool. Super. Do we know the name of the guy who makes this or miniature? Miniature drums. Mi is just miniature the brand. drums underscore is the Instagram, and then I think that there's a website link on that Instagram page cool. if you want to follow that. And they sell uh, these are like miniature instruments on their website. So gotcha. You can get miniature cellos and guitars and pianos. So I mean, dude, that's cool. Yeah. I'm not mad at that at all. I'll give that the accent just for tricking me. I got to give it the accent. That was awesome. Really, really cool. That's probably a good gift too. If you got like a dad who plays drums or somebody who works at a desk, like that's that's pretty awesome. So if you're looking to try your kit at the end of a set buy miniature drums exactly yeah <laughs> so we promote the company we're like hey check them out they're pretty cool and like if you want to smash a drum set also you could buy their <laughs> buy their product but someone um, else worked really hard on these two yeah so <laughs> that'll do it for accent or ghost and we'll move quickly on to sleeper spotlight um, in this segment, we introduce a drummer that y'all are sleeping on, and we get Adam's opinions, impressions, and maybe even some trash talk. Pop in our CTM Explorer P2 Bluetooth in-ears. Here we go. And we'll, uh, we'll start with Nathan Sletner. Nathan Sletner. Here we go. Video number one. Great technique, man. His right hand looks loose. Economy of motion. Man, it's unbelievably clean. Really, really good. Something about the loosey nature of his wrist gives me a little bit of a JP Bouvet vibe, something like that. Just in the wrist, I see some like similarities in technique. Really, really clean, clean playing, clean phrasing overall. Um, 
That's a seasoned drummer, man. Absolutely. That sounded awesome. Let's keep moving. Video number two. What you got, Nathan? Awesome. Really interesting, too. There was a lot of stuff happening there, but I thought their chemistry was very, very good as far as him filling in some of the gaps and sort of embellishing a lot of those guitar parts. I thought that was creative and well-written from what I could hear you know, within that clip. That was awesome. Let's do third clip from Nathan. Really cool, man. That's an interesting little melody. That is a, a deceivingly complex groove. Yeah, very tricky. There's definitely some yeah. some tricks in there. That's one where like you you, I mean, you can hear the melody right away. But it's like there's some really long phrases happening in there where you could sit down and try and replicate that, but then you're like, wait a second, what is he doing on the second? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of tricky stuff in there. Man, really, really clean. This is like like veteran level playing for sure. This guy's got a lot of time under his belt. Excellent technique, excellent phrasing, and interesting choices as well, which is one of my favorite parts of something like that. Um, dude, Nathan Sletner. Everybody check him out. That was sick. Really cool. cool. Who we got up next? Uh, next we have uh, drummer Yang Hoon Lim. I believe he's from Korea. Okay. Uh, all of the captions on his Instagram page were in what seemed to be Korean. Um, and He's a dope drummer. Let's check him out. Okay. Young Hoon. Video number one. What is that? Snare rack tom setup? Too real high? It's so high, isn't it? Sharp. I like the sound. He's got a very interesting touch. Very light-handed in a cool way. I also love this camera angle. I see a lot. Very dynamically minded. You can hear him pulling around. That, that snare thing is weird. Probably a con. Medium, low, thin. Man, a natural studio player, for sure. Makes it that much more impressive, right? Did you just start over? Okay, it's longer. Such a a natural session player. Man, yeah, such a natural studio player, and it, it's weird. There's like a weird like hallmark of some of these higher level session players in that. They don't look impressive when they're playing stuff. It oftentimes looks like uh, there's not a lot of big motions, there's not a lot of aesthetics involved, but if you just listen to what's happening, it is unbelievably tight and clean, and that's how I would describe his playing. It is less interesting to look at than it is to listen to. Um, this seems like a guy that is 
that is really, really comfortable in a studio environment. We're playing the, being a showman is not the goal at all, but executing the part perfectly to a click um, is much more in his wheelhouse because this is some clean studio drumming for sure. Not only is the playing really clean and tight, um, but the sounds are as well. Really, really good clean sounds. That Rack Tom snare, Soon Tuber, that thing is cool. I don't know what that sound is, but the home. It almost is like a really specific tonal, like a note to it. But man, that's awesome playing. Extremely clean. Um, that was sick. Let's go to the second video of Young Hoon. Tricky. Oh, we just you want to speed it up? Got it, got it. Interesting. I would love to see some sheet music for that, just to kind of get it wrap my head around exactly what's going on there. Really cool concept, though. That's high level too, man. That is, my ears do not naturally pick up what's happening there at all. That's just sort of. It sounds chaos. It sounds like chaos to me initially. Um, sick, dude. He absolutely shreds. Definitely like a more of like a like a tactician of a player kind of person. But I like that, man, because you need those guys in the studio. You need them to execute really, really difficult, higher-level parts, like your Thomas Langs, like those sort of people. Um, yeah, sick drummer, man. Sick drummer. Cool. All right, who we got? Who's the third one here? And the third one is someone we're both excited about. You already know who this is. We just wanted to show everybody watching this podcast. Oh, yeah, I texted you. Is. Yeah, I texted you within... Five minutes of seeing this guy. I'm like, he's on the next one. Check him out. Yeah, so this is Happy Imeda. We got three videos for you guys to watch here. Of course, there's plenty more on his Instagram page. This guy's a monster. Check him out. All right, first video from Mr. Happy. Here we go. God, so sick. Phosphorus ride. Yep, phosphorus ride. Big old hideous thing, man. They're so ugly. Beautiful. I played them in Nam. That snare is so dialed. What is that? I want to craviato is my guess from that inlay thing in the middle, but I'm really not. Is it a tom? Oh, okay, star, right? What's that pattern? I like this walnut situation on the hi hats. Oh, it's so groovy, isn't it? It's so groovy. <laughs> God, he's awesome. All right. Um, I don't want to say any more about him until we get into some more videos. I got a lot of stuff I could say. Let's keep going. Video number two from Happy Imeda. How dope is that with the screens on the right? How cool is that, man? Yeah, <laughs> so elevatory. So he's got a whole st uh, Thomas Star kit. Yeah, it's like that elevator music, but it hits. You know what I mean? It's smooth. Awesome. It's one of those like one minute doesn't cut it sort of deals. That's awesome. Okay, third kit from Happy Ameda. Third clip. The bottle. Ah. 
out here swagged out too. My man got a suit on. He got two scarves. One wasn't enough. You see him swing the brush like that with all that, all the vibe on it? And the bottle sounds good. Okay, so let me tell you what I love about this guy. Aside from his playing and the musicality and all of that, in my eyes, this is the type of person that checks every box you want to check when it comes to originality, when it comes to musicality and the actual craft of playing drums. Um, you know, when it comes to branding, all of these like very intentional, very specific things, like these high effort projects, each one of those videos and every video on this guy's Instagram, they're all the same in that there's a clear theme. There's there's effort that goes into the musical composition. It's all original. The fonts match, which is like a branding element. I just love this kind of approach where the amount of effort is so clearly high, right? This isn't just like setting an iPhone down and jamming. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're talking to somebody who's like a, a a brand nerd, right? I enjoy those elements of marketing and branding when it comes to, um, you know, creating a musical project of some sort. For me, it's not exclusively about the music. It's about the package that this entire thing comes in, right? Um, you know, so I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I get this impression from them that they're, that these are very thoughtful, very intentional people that, you know, him and, and everybody that he works with within this project. So I just found this immensely impressive. I haven't opened somebody's Instagram or clicked on someone's Instagram page and been this blown away in a long time. So I'm really pumped to feature him here, man. I, I just thought he's, he's doing everything right. Like what is there to dislike about this guy in this project, you know? Yeah. And the level of the video editing that this guy does. Yeah. The, the audio. Yeah. Yeah. It's just great. Yeah, it's just, just smash it. You just have to sit back and listen and smile, and it's just awesome. Yeah. It makes you want to play drums, and that's exactly who we're featuring yep. on these segments, and it's just great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just universally inspiring. So go spend, you know, 5, 10, 20 minutes um, cruising through his his profile uh, and give him, give, him, um, give him some love, man. He deserves it. Doing everything right, in my opinion, at the very least. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoy him as much as we do. He's, he's dope. So dope. Sweet. And if anybody watching or listening knows of any sleepers out there that they want to send to us hit us up on instagram comment below on youtube send me an email at chris at orlandodrummer.com or in the members area of orlandodrummer.com oh yeah and that'll do it for sleeper spotlight and i'll leave it to you to close out the podcast sure sure absolutely so yeah to, to close this out i want to share something with you guys that i've been um that i've been thinking about a lot and working on on my other platform on the other podcast all in with adam um and this episode comes out um later this week actually and and it's an episode called Tactical Artistry, and in that episode, I kind of explore this spectrum between, you know, what it is to be an artist and what it is to be more of like a tactician or a strategist, and I think these are very different personality types in a lot of ways, and there's pros and cons to both of them for sure. I think artists uh, tend to be a little bit more of like the head in the clouds, creative types, they value creative contribution, and for the most part, I think a lot of people watching this video are going to fit into that category. They're just going to be natural artists. And I love artists. I was born one for sure. And I think uh, most people who are watching my videos over the years tend to be in that artistic category. But then there's the other, you know, side of the population, which are your non-creative people who, you know, I don't fault them for not being creative, but these are your doctors, your lawyers. Oftentimes they're industrious workers, plumbers, electricians, mechanics, or people who tend to enjoy the stability that comes with not being in a creative field. And this is something I've been thinking about, you know, a lot over the last year or two. But um, I think a lot of people might need to hear in the arts community that there is something to be learned um, from the other side, from the strategist, from the tactician, from from that other side of the spectrum when it comes to these different career paths and different personalities that you can have. And I think in in many ways. Um, these two sides of the spectrum can learn from each other. A tactical person can certainly learn to be more empathetic, more creative, um, to, to think outside the box a little bit, to live in the moment a little bit. And I think sometimes artists can learn to employ a little bit of strategy in their life and to, to really tighten up um, because it's something that artists and really pure 
purely creative people tend to struggle with at times. Um, so it's a podcast where I expand this idea quite a bit. Um, and if, so if you're interested in that a little bit more, definitely check that out later this week on the other platform. But you know, for what it's worth, for I think what I can share with you today, I would say that as someone who was born naturally an artist, I found a ton of value in exploring that other side of the spectrum, in in employing a little bit of self-discipline, a little bit more of a of a tactical, strategic approach to my artistry, and it really helped me. It helped me form this business, but it also helped me achieve a lot more of my musical and artistic goals. And I think that balance is something that is more difficult for artists sometimes than other people, but I think it serves you really well to lean in. In that direction. So hopefully that can be some food for thought this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to our this third episode of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Always fun uh, hanging out with you for an hour. I really appreciate it. And we will catch you in the next episode. Take care.